start by talking about how you got involved in Watertech. I've been doing water for like 30 years, so did civil engineering as an undergraduate, then uh, hydrology, and then uh, was a university researcher on groundwater pollution and radionuclide stuff, some climate change things. Mm -hmm. um, then worked for the National Farmers Union in the UK as their water lead, um, and as part of that was involved with the European Commission in developing some legislation around water. Um, and then moved to Water UK, which is the trade body for the water industry in the UK, and worked with Euro, which is a European trade body, um, and then set up a water efficiency NGO. And I've mm -hmm. just set up a water company where I'm the chief technology officer. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm running a European Water Technology Accelerator, which is pretty much what it says it is. Yeah. Um, so I've always been involved in, in water tech. Mm -hmm. uh, but now I'm specifically on the lookout for European water tech that's mm -hmm. looking to, to grow. Mm -hmm. And we're in that space between uh, tech entrepreneurs, investors, and customers, which could be utilities or mm -hmm. could be industrial users. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's been like a long-standing passion. What do you find most interesting about, uh, about the role, about being involved in water and innovation? Uh, okay, I like new ideas, that's the first bit. And and this sounds a bit weird, but I find water magical. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree, it's, I agree with that, it's not weird at all. <laughs> you know, but the very fact that you, that nature can irrigate the inner parts of vast arid continents mm -hmm. through clouds. If you think about it, what a cloud is, mm -hmm. the concept of evaporation, the huge movement of water, mm -hmm. the water cycle, all, all that sort of stuff. And water itself as a, as a chemical is very, very unusual. And uh, and also it underpins everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. so I've been fascinated with, with water and hydrology since being, obviously I was a weird child, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, since childhood. So yeah. I, it really i find water fascinating yeah no but, but i i would agree with that i think it's <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean as someone who prefers to to swim swim in it live by it use it more than study it but yeah i agree well well if and, you think about all human existence mm. most towns and, and human civilization is has been built in relation to water around for water. food fence mm. for transport and when people go on holiday they go to frozen water mm. for skiing, they go to lakes, they go to the seaside. People have a connection with water, a primal connection, I think. Mm. Different to, you know, people talk a lot about energy when they talk about climate change, but the concept of energy we have has only been around for 150 odd years, mm. whereas humans' relationship with water has been forever. Yeah, that, that's true. And I also think that the, the dialogue is tipped um, you know, a little bit, I mean, I'm not going to say too much because you can never have enough of, uh, of any talk about climate change, but it's really tipped in the, in, the, in the direction of talking about energy. But I think water is actually one of the most important things that, that one, of the, one of the biggest challenges we're facing. Water and, is key for mitigation and adaptation. Mm, and the impacts of climate change will be seen through water. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, the water does not get enough attention in the whole climate change mm. debate. 
And um, so on that note, um, I did a little bit of research uh, to, to look up water scarcity statistics. And uh, I saw that by 2025, two thirds of the world's population is likely to be facing water shortages and uh, you know lakes um, river freshwater reserves are are stressed and gradually drying up so as someone who's been in this industry for a long time looking at these these the very daunting challenge what gives you the most hope for overcoming or or handling the, the water scarcity crisis that's coming uh, I think there's two things. One is I see a huge amount of tech and there is there's a vast entrepreneurial and scientific spirit to solve these wicked problems mm -hmm. around water, as, as we call them. Mm -hmm. And the other one is that people are genuinely interested in, in water mm -hmm. and doing the right thing. Energy, I think, might be slightly different. People aren't quite so interested. But as we said before, you know, the primal link to water, I, I think that humans know that. And I think that public pressure... I mean, we've seen it in the UK recently with the designation of inland bathing waters. So that's local people saying we want to be able to swim in our river. Mm. And that local human pressure for the quality and preservation of water will, will eventually save us all. Mm. Yeah. Combined and, with a good dollar for Yeah. And, uh, and as someone who, who has looked at a lot of new emerging technologies around water, what is the most exciting or maybe the top three most exciting um, new bits of innovation that you think could could really be game-changing in the next couple of years? Okay, to, to sound boring, but I mean, they're, they're pretty much the same as everyone will say. I think, I mean, it's, it's digital water, mm. obviously, the use of AI and machine learning, the use of things like ubiquitous sensors. And then on the sensor side, it's the, the rise in smaller, more efficient, uh, ubiquitous sensing, but also things like biosensors and optical sensors. So we're getting more and more relevant information often in real time. And if you combine that then with the digital agenda, mm -hmm. it's giving us so much power to understand water. Mm -hmm. And then I think the third bit is the circular economy. So the link mm -hmm. of water into the circular economy, and that's partly linked to the sort of water energy food nexus stuff um but it's also looking at how we can recycle reuse purify water i mean i would love to see decentralized off-grid water networks houses that are just given a supply of water when they're built and then they reuse that constantly and that is monitored by an external uh, water company who are actually a data company mm. yeah i that, that sort of stuff and you know the, the reuse of wastewater mm. I mean the fact that we call it wastewater for a start you've got heat you've got nutrients you've got water all being flushed down the drain we could reuse a lot of that and, that, and that's starting so more efficient clever use of water using digital tech mm, yeah so the, the thought of having a house with my own little pot of water and that I have to reuse for years and years <laughs> isn't very appealing but i know that that's actually what's happening on a much much bigger well, it's, it's scale anyways at a planetary scale yeah yeah we all have a fixed pot of water that we're that we're all reusing mm. and you have to look after it yeah. and if you think about that on a house scale we have to do the same and mm. quite often we don't think about that with the planet we think that the oceans or water are places we can just dump stuff and we mm. can use as much water as we like 
But maybe if we thought that the planet has a, a finite supply of water, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that we, have to, we have to look yeah. after it properly and be stewards of that water. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that some of the, the biggest uh, or most exciting developments in water tech are around AI and data and how we how we monitor and understand use of water. How does that uh, translate into you know in, into change? Because as I understand, obviously that you know better metrics with better metrics you can drive efficiency. But do you have any concrete examples of ways that this is already done and the impact that it's making? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, we're, we're working with a company at the moment mm-hmm. who use AI to anticipate demand mm-hmm. in networks. So they, they can use economic and weather data and yeah. combine that with network pumping data. And then they can autonomously control pumps. Mm-hmm. So you're reducing energy use, you're increasing security of supply, and you're reducing the amount of water you have to put into the network. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just one fairly simple one. So there, there are lots of, because people talk about digital water and AI, and frankly, before this call, I've just been dealing with a massive leak and trying to get a whole load of people into a pit to dig out a pipe. You know, that's the practical side of water often, and that seems very, very separate from high polluting AI and AI, uh, you know, AI and digital water, but where it is being used and practically applied, it's the combination of those two things. It's using AI to predict where you're going to see bursts on networks so you can do preemptive maintenance mm-hmm. um, there's also interesting stuff around predicting people's behavior mm-hmm. and also using um, artificial intelligence to anticipate people's behavior or drive demand differently within networks mm-hmm. um, i've also seen ai being used to design systems in advance and and the concept of of digital twins, mm-hmm. I think is quite useful as well. So you mm-hmm. can you can play games on your digital twin yep. that you couldn't with a real sewage treatment works, mm. and that enables us to have more foresight, more preparation, and increases resilience. I think within the sector. So what we're starting to see now is less of the hype around digital water and more of the actual practical applications. Mm. If uh, that's what I'm looking for. If anyone's got any of those, please let me know. <laughs> and. Uh, you, is there a demand for for this innovation, and where does that demand come from? Let's um, say in the real yeah. world, you said it could be read, um, you know, industry, it could be personal use. Where are you seeing the biggest demand nowadays? This is the difficult bit. Yes. So yeah. water utilities are generally very very slow. They're very long sales cycles. They're very long investment cycles. Things like AI and digital tech are very fast. Yeah. And getting the link between a small tech company with a very short financial runway and getting them to actually sell into utilities who think in terms of 5, 10, 20 years mm. is really very difficult. And that's that's what part of the reason we set up this accelerator, yeah. to see whether we can ensure that the tech is right for the market mm-hmm. and also that the market is shaped so it can accept the tech. Mm. And, and it, it's a really difficult problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I can imagine because it's probably. I mean, I I think I saw, I, I read that construction is one of the least innovative industries, but it's actually one of the. It, it's responsible for a huge amount of carbon emissions, and I think utility companies and utilities are are kind of similar. Um, I think I'm second. 
Yeah. It's, yeah. Construction is the worst, mm. and then and then water utilities are the next. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, um, if I make a fintech mobile phone app and it goes wrong, mm-hmm. well, yeah, you know, people have lost their money and people complain a lot, but mm-hmm. no one's going to die. Yeah. If you mess up the water supply system, mm-hmm. then things are a little more radical. So quite reasonably, utilities are conservative. Yes, yeah. But what they need to do is they need to find a safe space in which they can try some of this mm-hmm. tech. There almost needs to be more of a sandbox approach mm-hmm. so yeah. that people can try out different technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this is lacking at the moment. And water utilities need to be more open to innovation. They all say they are, and some of them are trying. But frankly, in my experience, they're not, they're not as innovative as they could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, yeah. if you if you uh, get get me a nice house with a with my own pot of water to recycle, I I can be one of your sandbox. <laughs> it's funny because sandbox experiments. <laughs> twenty twenty five years ago, mm-hmm. I, I proposed exactly that to the European Commission in one of the research projects, and they said no one would ever want this, mm-hmm. and it was going to be some some example houses but I mean also there are companies who set up those who set up innovation labs and then have shut them down Mm. and the reason being is that you need to get the tech the innovation the investment and the market all lined up yes very or you'll have a glut of innovation and nowhere to use it yeah and we see this quite a lot with with tech companies that they devise something that they think is amazing and quite often it is, mm. and it'll solve these world water problems. Okay, that's lovely, but where's the money coming from? Mm. You've got, it's one thing to design these things that are going to solve world water problems. The other bit is you need to think about the market and how that's going to be implemented. Yeah. Who's going to buy this technology? And, and, and that's the really difficult part. And quite often entrepreneurs don't, well, tech entrepreneurs don't think about that bit. Mm. Yeah. And have you tried approaching, you know, really big utility companies and negotiating big deals with them? Depends what you mean by big deals. I mean, we approach. Uh, so, so I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, large scale. You know, get, get getting really big, large scale uh, utility companies on board. Let's say with with adopting some of this water tech. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we 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 talk to big utility companies all the time, mm. and. Sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, one of the difficulty is there is no innovation in innovation. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody's innovation is, okay, we've got a special innovation web platform. You have to fill in this form. Mm-hmm. And the form is always the same. What problems will your thing solve? What 200 words? Uh, how will this fit the market? Another 200 words. Mm-hmm. And it is always this pro forma. Mm-hmm. that has been designed for basically for existing tech so if you've got and then there's always the really bad question which is um is it, is your tech novel and innovative and then the next question is and where has it been applied well those two bits don't uh, don't gel together so yes there are all utility companies want to innovate mm-hmm. and there are some good examples i mean uu united utilities Innovation Lab, for instance, is a, mm-hmm. is a good example. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so how, how are you oh, how are you hoping right. to solve some of those problems um, in your accelerator? 
this is what we constantly discuss. Okay. <laughs> so um, just by doing more and more of what we're doing, so mm. effectively just building more and more links, providing more and more evidence, trying to trying to line up the expectations of investors, tech companies, and water companies. So, I mean, you, you know, this has been in in, in your in your um, your newsletter already. Mm-hmm. What investors are looking for is, you know, fifty percent team, twenty five percent tech, twenty five percent marketing and and business plan. And mm-hmm. yet, most tech companies, it's all about the tech. That's mm-hmm. great, but you need the right team for that. Yeah. You need to position that in a way that investors will want to invest in it. Mm-hmm. And then you need to have thought about your pipeline and who's going to buy this. So, and then you need the investors and the tech companies to be talking to the utilities. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to build more of an ecosystem, as are lots of other people, around this so that tech companies, investors and utilities are talking the same language. Yeah. That's that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see people who have you know sensors or in home information devices to do with water and they spend ages and ages making them better mm. but what they should do is spend ages and ages making them cheaper because quite, quite often you know 90 percent of what they've done is good enough for the water company and what they should do is make it either cheaper or more robust or easier to fit and instead what they do is work on the tech side and make the tech better and better and better which is lovely i mean i spent a lot of time as an academic and that's what you do but it doesn't work in the market mm. you need to turn your tech into a product yeah. and quite often quite often that isn't seen mm. by, by tech companies and quite often what tech companies say is you know if only we had the investment well yeah maybe you'd get the investment if, if you had products for people to invest in yeah it's, so- it's difficult it's, it's because people have a great idea and really good tech doesn't mean that it's going to sell. Yeah. So would you say that's the number one reason a, a pitch fails or, or is there another really common pitfall? Um, well, we work, we're a European technology accelerator, so we tend to work with European companies. Mm-hmm. And hmm, I hate to say this, but quite often it's, it's almost lack of ambition. Oh. If you look at I mean, this is very generalistic, but if you talk to American tech companies and say, what's your market? Hey, it's a global market and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. Whereas if you talk to a European one, well, we've sold two of these to the local water company and maybe if it's good enough, we might be able to sell another one. And it's just that it's partly that sort of mindset. So it's be ambitious, Mm -hmm. ensure that you talk about the business plan and the team as well as the tech. I mean, the number of times you see investors' eyes glaze over when people talk about the tech too much. Mm. Um, and, and also it's to do with fashion. So research what your investor likes to invest in. Mm. Research what the latest fashionable trends are, mm-hmm. you know, um, and make sure you, you fit in with those. You know, what are the buzzwords you've got to have in there? Mm. And, and make it so you can explain, this is where I'm, doing a really bad example, but you can explain your concept mm-hmm. just in five minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate all that elevator pitch and all that sort of stuff, but it's true. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to explain your whole concept really simply and really quickly. And even if it's complex, everything can be explained in five minutes. 
And and if the investor doesn't understand it, that's not their fault. That's your fault. So uh, a a pitch that ticks all the boxes. What are the you know the the key points that it has to cover? Okay, so the most important is the team and their background and showing that they've had success in this area before. Mm-hmm. Um, the technology has to work, obviously. Yeah. It has to be relevant. Uh, you have to show progress. You have to show a pipeline. You have to show traction. And you have to show vision. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, mm-hmm. how is the investor going to get their money back? No, they're not. Yeah. This, this isn't, this isn't um, an academic grant application. This is an investment. They are putting money into you so they can make more money. And either they're going to do that through an exit strategy when you're sold, or they're going to do it because you're going to have repeat revenue and they're going to make money off their dividends, mm-hmm. or you know, what what is in it for them? Mm-hmm. And, and also, how are you going to spend the money? Yeah. Um, could you describe the best pitch that you have seen the best investment pitch. Obviously, um, you don't need to name any companies <laughs> if you don't want to. Um, but is there yeah. one that has really oh. grabbed you and stood out? Uh, yeah, there was one recently where uh, my colleague who, who run the uh, accelerator, Gaetan Susan A and I, um, uh, were, were <laughs> yeah, we were talking to a tech company where we were both amazed at the end. And, and loved this and thought it was brilliant. But then when we sat down and thought about it afterwards, they didn't actually have anything. Oh. <laughs> it's quite amazing. <laughs> and it was, it was the enthusiasm, it was the team that they put together, mm-hmm. it was the enthusiasm, and it was the vision that they had. Mm. And we have investors who are, who are interested in this. And even though physically, or in terms of IP, there, there, there wasn't anything there yet. Mm. Um, and I think the key bit from that is you have to be able to sell the story and and sell the vision. Yeah. And it was almost as if these guys are so passionate about this, they've got the right team, they'll be able to do this. Mm. And you know, and the the tech and the other bit just fill in the blanks. <laughs> You'll get from here to here. Mm. Uh, and it's almost completely the opposite of company with a really good tech that they've spent ages working on that they're almost apologetic about um, so it is it's self-belief and enthusiasm to a certain extent yeah. and defining the problem you're going to solve yeah um, and, and frankly if you're a tech company with really good tech then the, the story bit isn't that difficult yeah. <laughs> that's what people always miss I mean, I've seen so many presentations where it's just unbelievably boring. You know, once you get on the 14th slide of how the tech works, I, I don't care. Just tell me why and what it's going to do. I don't need to know how. Yeah. I will afterwards. You know, everyone does their due diligence. We'll need to know that afterwards. But tell me a compelling story first. Yeah. I think that's it. It's pitches or stories. Yeah. I think I, I have uh, discovered that a lot of people who, who work in clean tech are necessarily very geeky, very technical, you know, they're, uh, they have engineering backgrounds, but, or, or science uh, related backgrounds, but they, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they also have the, the storytelling, the selling, the enthusiasm side. So 
I think maybe finding a team which can which can marry those two qualities, um, yeah, maybe key for a lot of a lot of companies. If they, have, if they have engineering and scientific backgrounds, then look at this as a scientific problem. Mm. Look at getting investment or, or or customers as a scientific problem, and think about what do you, or an engineering problem. What are the elements that you need in order to achieve this goal? And that should immediately tell you that having a load of techie guys isn't going to work. You need them and you need some really good people who are good at marketing and storytelling and that side as well. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that, and I'm probably guilty of this as well, the people who are you know, really good on the engineering side sometimes don't apply their engineering to investment or marketing or things like this. Yeah. It's, it's a problem that needs to be solved. And, and yet they come away quite often thinking, well, why on earth didn't they give us funding? Or why on earth didn't they buy our product? Mm. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's strange. It's to do with a mindset, I think. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I, I saw a report uh, this morning and it was a survey um, which, which interviewed about 500 businesses in their early stages across the UK and Europe and looked at what their experience of working with venture capitalists have been. And 65% of these business founders uh, rated their experience quite low. And, yep. and they felt like uh, they, they didn't receive value beyond the capital investment, which was often originally promised when they started the, the, the investor relationship. Uh, so flipping it around to what the investors can do to help the comp- help companies that they invest in more and actually provide further value, what would you say, um, you know, are, are three keys that, or three ways that uh, investors can actually help these companies succeed beyond capital? It's a really good point. I mean, we tend to work with people who are specialists in water so that they they know the market and they, they know they can add and, and that effectively gives them an advantage because their knowledge of water mm. means that they they innately know even further than the due diligence what's going to work and what isn't. Um, in terms of the investor, what the investor needs to be do, to do is to is to be honest with the um, with the company. So don't say we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we're going to put people on your board and we're going to connect you with markets. If you're not, if you're just going to put in money and make money, then just say, no, no one has a problem with that. Just be clear about what you're going to provide. And, and also, um, tech companies shouldn't be naive. You know, these, I know they're sometimes called business angels and white knights and all that sort of stuff, but they're there to make money. This is, this is their job. That's how it works. Is making money, and either they just want to invest, and they won't add any other value. Their money is the value, or they will add value because it increases the value of their of their holding in the company. So I think in those, once the money's being set up, ask what it is that's going to be given. Be explicit about that, um, and. And don't expect guidance from people who can't provide it. So, you know, if, if, if an investor says, oh, yeah, we'll introduce you to these markets. Well, can you really? Do you, do you know these markets? You know, do you, uh, 
have you operated in water before? Mm. So I think the question that the, the tech companies need to ask those sorts of questions. So they need to interrogate the investor as well as the investor interrogating them. And I also think that, as I say, yeah, investors just need to be upfront. Because if they tell the company that they're going to do this and they're going to do that, that will effectively be factored into the business plan. And if you and if the investor doesn't provide that, then they're going to underperform and they're not going to make as much money. Yeah, yeah. Not everyone is looking for a hands-on investor who really knows the sector. Sometimes they're just looking for money. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine too. But if, if yeah, I, I prefer investors who specialise because yeah. they they then have they then have the knowledge. Yeah. So so you would say um, that maybe something a company should look out for is a specialist investor. If that's what they want. If they yeah. Mm-hmm. You, you don't don't be disappointed if an investor isn't a specialist investor, if you if you don't want one or you haven't looked for one. Mm. Think about what it what it is what it is you want. Because sometimes you don't want a hands on person, you just want the cash. Yeah. <laughs> That's... Um, all right. Uh, so but, uh, yeah. sorry, on, on that the other thing is it's worth looking at who else is in the stable as well. Mm. Because if you are working with uh, an investment house that has specialises in circular economy. They may well be investing in other companies that could benefit you where there are synergies. Yeah. So that that's quite important as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To see yeah. whether their network is useful to you. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, so something that I ask all of my green techpreneur interviewees uh, is where they see themselves in ten years. Uh, or you know, twenty years, five years into their future. If you could teleport yourself and be anywhere and doing anything, uh, just as a bit of a way for the audience to get to know you, where would you be? Uh, you know, and, and take off all all, all limits and uh, yeah, what what would your your best your best self be doing? Oh, this is really bad. Probably that's similar to what I'm doing now. I quite enjoy it. I think that's a good answer, to be honest. It's not a bad answer. I'd like to be doing it by the seaside somewhere warm. <laughs> if, if we're taking off the limits, then yeah, in a castle, by the seaside somewhere warm, doing the same thing. That's probably it. 